Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you're doing good. Today, uh, we are going to talk all about motivation, how to motivate your child to do the tough things that anxiety and OCD treatment require, whether that's with a therapist or in your own home. We want to get our kids to move closer to discomfort, closer to facing their fears, and not avoiding or doing compulsions or things to get out of that distress. And that's really hard. That's hard for any child or any human being, let alone a child, right? And so I did invite my guest, Dr. Amy Jenks, to the show to talk with me. It's nice to sometimes have another therapist talk with me so that we can share ideas on how we help parents increase buy-in and increase motivation. But before we get started, I do want to let you know that my free self-care series is about to begin. Let me look at my calendar here. Actually, it is starting this week. (laughs) I have to look into the future because I'm recording this a week behind. So it will be starting on January 21st of 2021. Nice to get rid of 2020. And if you are not signed up yet, please sign up because even if you've been through my self-care series before, it is a free three-part video series it is really good to get a refresher. So I do it twice a year, so I won't be doing it again for another six months. So join us. You can sign up by texting the word AT self care to the number 44222, or I'll leave links below in the show notes. And I am creating a pop-up Facebook group just for this series. So it will be there just for the series, and then it will go away once the series is over and join me. Let's hang out together. Let's talk about why self-care is so important for parents who are raising kids with anxiety or OCD. And when I talk to you about self-care in this series, it's not talking about bonbons and Netflix and watching your favorite shows, although that is a really nice self-care. And I do try to do that as much as I can. It is more about, we go over mindset So how you perceive your child's anxiety or OCD, we talk about your childhood, your relationships with other people and your triggers and how that impacts your approach to your child's anxiety or OCD. So mindset, and then we go over physical cues that our body is giving us and how often are we listening to our body when we are in the middle of trying to help our child with anxiety or OCD. And lastly, we're going to go over supports and try to supersize your support system and get you to analyze your support system and realize what is helping and what's not. Who who in your life is helping you and who is depleting you and how to figure that out and how to create a better support system. And I will be inviting people to join the AT Parenting community at the end of this series. Although you do not have to, you're going to get so much support and guidance through this free series. But then I will open up the doors to my AT Parenting community on February 1st for just a few days, and then it will close again. And you know, my community only opens a few times a year. This is going to be one of them. So sign up, join us. Let's hang out for a little while, and then we'll try to get you to do some self-care. And I always like doing it because sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to take better care of myself. And it's a really good reminder, even though it's me listening to me, which might be a good self-care strategy to record yourself 
trying to talk to yourself. I think that's actually kind of interesting. So without further ado, though, let's jump into this interview. Let's talk to Amy Jenks and let's talk about motivation. And that really can help with self-care, right? Because if our kids are more motivated, man, would life get better, right? So they're all interconnected. And we have to know that there's only so much that we can do with our kids with anxiety or OCD. And as I always say, we are in the passenger seat and they are in the driver's seat. And so learning how to manage your own stress, if your child is not motivated to work on their things, or if they're not motivated to work on it at the level that you would like, we have to kind of shift our belief systems and take care of ourselves. So without further ado, here is Amy Jenks and my conversation with her. Well, I want to welcome Dr. Amy Jenks to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So we're going to talk about motivation because that is the number one question I get besides difficult behavior is how to motivate kids to work on their anxiety or OCD. So it's nice to get a different therapist on here to brainstorm with you on like what approaches you use. And I can talk about what approaches I use to help parents at home work on motivating their kids to, to face their anxiety and OCD. So before we jump in though, do you want to give people a little like summary on who you are and what you do? Sure. As you said, my name is Dr. Amy Jenks, and I have been in practice in the San Francisco Bay Area for the last 12 years in private practice there with a practice, my own practice called Bay Area OCD and Anxiety. I recently moved to Boise, Idaho just about three months ago, but I am continuing my practice in the Bay Area and actually all of California. So now I'm, I'm, I'm licensed in California. And so I see kids and teens all throughout the state. And I am really an OCD specialist. So this is my bread and butter about about 90% or more of people I see have OCD. Yeah. All right. Well, great. So let's talk about how to motivate kids, how parents can help motivate kids. What are some approaches that, that you recommend parents do? Okay. Well, I have so many different ideas. And so I'm really excited to share these with you. So number one, I think it's really, really important right up front to have and encourage the kid or the teen to externalize their OCD. And so what that means is having them develop kind of a character. You can almost kind of think of it as like a cartoon character. So I love to have kids and teens draw it and then come up with like a personality, you know, kind of turn it into this personality and give it a name. So, you know, that might be like Hermie Jeremy, who is a trickster and super bossy and threatening and mean. And then having them draw that out and use that going forward. So I know we both do this. So you using that language of like, so what is Hermie Jeremy saying to you right now? What is Hermie Jeremy threatening? What can you say back to Hermie Jeremy? all these things. So number one, externalizing it. And that can help with melt motivation and communication between everybody. Now, do you find that sometimes, and I think we'll be talking about different age ranges because the younger kids often aren't as hard to motivate as the older kids. And I think most of the questions I get for motivation, not always, but a lot of Mm -hmm. times they center around the older kids who are preteen and teen. And they're kind of like, they don't want to externalize it. They don't want to name yeah. it. Sometimes I get a lot of pushback from that. What yeah. do you do in your practice when you have kids who don't want to externalize it in that way? That's fine. You know, we always have to work with kids and teens where they're at and just start from where they're at. 
it depends on kind of their level of willingness and motivation and engagement. So it's one thing if your teen absolutely refuses, like whatsoever, absolutely shut parent therapists out. You know, then there's one strategy versus a strategy of, that there may kind of 50-50 in the middle or the strategy, whether they're totally unwilling and on board and excited. So let's just start with maybe kind of that kid or teen that totally flat out refuses whatsoever. And we don't know necessarily why, but maybe they're fearful. Maybe they think if they engage whatsoever, their fear is going to come true. Maybe they actually are oppositional or they're depressed. We just don't know. So number one, kind of learning what the reason is behind that total refusal. And if there's no willingness whatsoever, a great approach is called space. And a lot of us, a lot of therapists, OCD therapists in particular, are getting trained in how to do this approach, which is actually a parent-only approach. And you don't need a kid who's willing and engaged versus a kid who's maybe has a little bit of willingness. And maybe there's fear there to talk about it or to say anything about it, to kind of like reveal any secrets and fear about doing it. Then you can actually think of more like a hierarchy of how we work in exposure and response prevention of externalizing, right? And so there could be different ideas. What are some things you might do when it comes to like maybe a hierarchy of externalizing? I want to go back to what you were saying first, because I do have a good point. Like finding out why your child is resistant to working on their anxiety OCD is really key because you know, before moving into like hierarchies and externalizing and things like that, that are good tools. I think just focusing today on, on motivation, because most of the parents are going to be listening to this episode or it out are going to be like, I tried all those things. My child, I can't even talk to my child about anxiety or OCD. So I Mm -hmm. like what is driving that, you know, is it embarrassment? Do we need to normalize it for them? Do we need to help them understand that they're not alone, that their thoughts aren't crazy? Yes. Their kids have those. So Helping them normalize it, I think is a really good first step. And you bring up another good point that some kids are kind of probably be too far gone, right? So you do have a step of, there is no magic fairy dust that we can like sprinkle on people and say, if you just did hocus pocus and turn three times, like your child will be motivated. Sometimes, no, they really won't. And you might have a 15 year old who's holed up in their bedroom, won't get off their bed. Everything's contaminated. And no matter what we share with you, that child needs a higher level of care and they need treatment. They need like, you know, maybe residential or like a higher level of treatment, but the child who is maybe on the fence, that's the child that we can talk about as far as yeah. what you do with that. And the space right. is great as far as looking at your accommodations as a parent, your involvement. And for some situations, there's a lot of involvement. And so there's so much that you can do even without your child yeah. being motivated. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think like you said, it's so important to determine kind of where on the spectrum your child is, because there's going to be a different prescription and a different approach for every single place on that whole spectrum of where your kid is. And so, you know, ranging from kids, total refusal, lots and lots and lots of parent accommodation going on, then maybe an appropriate response and appropriate intervention might be space, finding somebody who does space. And you can go to the space website for that to find a list of providers. Or if your kid has 
little, like a little bit of willingness and a little bit of curiosity, a little bit of interest. Maybe they've Googled OCD themselves, like secretly, you know, or maybe they're kind of reading books about it or interested. Then there's a lot of options and the door opens, really, to how you can slowly tiptoe kind of through some of that resistance and slowly introduce some of these concepts. Yeah. Right. And versus the kid who's totally willing, who is ready to go. Yeah. And you're going to have, you know, some doors are slightly open, some doors are wide open and some, some doors are dead bolted. And so, yes, exactly. you know, if the door is dead bolted, (laughs) then we're going to look at a higher level of care or the space program. If you have a lot, if you're heavy on the accommodations, what are some good resources that you use to like, just educate kids about like normalizing OCD or anxiety? Oh, I have so many. I kind of was going through my, the tools and the things I have in my closet (laughs) to get out to, to bring. And so I can share with people kind of what some of these tools are. And so, you know, one of the things that I share with kids and teens is pictures of other kids OCD. And I personally have a whole binder full of kids that I've worked with. And I have maybe over, gosh, like 30 of these pictures that kids themselves have drawn and what they've written about how scary it was and frightening to start exposure therapy and how they thought it wouldn't work. And they thought it was impossible, but they did it. And now they have mastered their OCD and shrunk it. And so I have these personal stories from kids that they've written. I'm actually going to put that on my website. So it'll be under the resources tab on my website. Bay Area OCD and anxiety. And so I'm going to show my collection. I'm also showing the collection on Instagram and Facebook. And so parents can go there, print those out, or just show them to kids and introduce it that way of like, and not even talking about the kids OCD themselves at all. Like, just like, I just wanted to show you what other kids are saying. Yeah. And I think normalizing it is so important and educating them. And they may not be ready to talk about their own anxiety or OCD. And I'll talk about both of those but yeah. giving them examples of where other kids maybe struggle, or even if it's OCD, they may not even understand what OCD is. And so no. having them read books, there are plenty of kids books that I think are really good. If you're dealing with OCD, yeah. I think unstuck and OCD kids movies. Yes. The place to start because it's 20 minutes and kids yeah. are more to sit down and watch a quick 20 minute video than they aren't necessarily yeah. even read a book. Yeah. And I actually, because this is such a, you know, this is so common with kids. And teens. I actually created a playlist on my YouTube channel exactly for kids and teens in this spot. And so you can go on there and I have like a trailer from Unstuck. I have different interviews from the, un- the kids on Unstuck. And I have different stories, like inspirational stories where kids talk about what it was like for them. And so that's a great resource if kids are willing to go on there and watch some of those videos. Yeah. And there's plenty of YouTube channels out there that are so that are- many you know, designed for kids and teens with anxiety or OCD is a good resource. I think there are definitely good books out there. Everything is an emergency is one of my favorites for teens and young adults to normalize it or stuff that's loud, I think is really good. Yeah. Um, I love stuff that's loud. It's a fantastic book. It's by Lisa Coyne and Ben Sedley. It's fantastic. I really highly recommend it for teens. If you have a child who's willing and able, there are good like 
OCD workbooks, like an OCD, like an ACT OCD workbook for teens by Dr. Zarita Ona. Like there are good ones, but it's just hooking them in. And so I think like those yeah. novels or for little kids, what to do when your brain gets stuck or outsmarting worry or practicing being brave. Like there are so many. And I do on my website, I have like a whole list of resources on educating them, but let's move past that. So there's the okay. education piece, right? So definitely- yeah. You know, we just threw out a whole bunch of resources. Definitely connect with getting them to understand what anxiety and OCD is. And if you actually Google like famous people who have anxiety or famous people who have OCD, you'll find so many people. I, always <laughs> yeah. find, I try to find someone that's in their like their interest, you know, someone who's, <laughs> right? You know, an artist or someone who's a musician. You'll find somebody because there are plenty of people who are being vocal. But yeah. then, how does a parent motivate their child at home to face their fears or sit with discomfort or do an exposure or do a challenge? What are some ways that that you help parents? Yeah. So there's a couple of things I can talk about. One of those things is I actually came up with an activity and I have it on my Google Drive and you can find that on my website, go to there. And it actually walks kids and parents through the entire activity and how to do this. And it is really meant to be quite simple, straightforward, fun, something that anybody can do. And it's motivating and it includes earning rewards. So that's one thing just I'll want to, I'll talk about rewards and how to use them. But this activity is something where you do work with your kid. You basically just take flashcards, like a whole stack of flashcards. On one flashcard, you have the kid or teen draw a picture like we talked about of their OCD using little speech bubbles for what their OCD is saying and threatening. And then on another card, you have your kid draw themselves. And this activity and worksheet actually walks you through something called, they call superpowers. And so having a kid like name and identify what their own superpowers are, like bravery and intelligence and, you know, tenacity, things like that. And then you can actually use this activity. I'm not going to go into all the details of how you do it, but basically every time a kid does an exposure on one of these cards, they get a point and they mark it on the card as a point. Then you can develop a reward system and reward systems are fabulous. I know some parents feel like, oh my God, I don't want to bribe my kids. Like, you know, they have a lot of kind of fears about using rewards, but rewards and reinforcing is totally different than bribing, completely different. And there's a whole science behind it. And so I think it's important for parents to get familiar with that. of like how to use rewards. Yeah, I do feel, I agree with you. I feel like for some parents and sometimes your partner might just disagree with you that, you know, why should I give my child something for things that the rest of us can do without a problem? And I think that's yeah. just a different view of looking at it and looking at it. Like somebody in my community called it bravery points. And I really love that. And so I've kind of yeah. stole from her. You know, that, I do too. <laughs> I love that. I just think that's really good. Yeah. It's like it's you're rewarding the bravery. And, and I think that that's really, you're not going to move the dial. And I have three kids with anxiety and OCD. There's no way I'd move the dial if I wasn't able to, you know, monetize it almost like I'm incentivizing. Mm-hmm. Um, Incentivize. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing. It's like parents might be okay with grades with their kids getting grades, but Grades are the same thing of incentivizing and rewarding kids with hard work and bravery, right? Grades take a lot of work to eventually get. Getting a grade for a class or let's say in English or in math means that you have developed a certain level of skill, 
and that you've kind of mastered that subject, right? You've learned all these skills and it's taken really hard work. So a grade will come at the end of whatever it is, a semester or a year, whatever that is, to show progress and achievement. And kids along the way will get grades for tests. So it's the same thing for OCD. You can use kind of the science behind it to do something called continuous reinforcement, which is basically one-to-one. Every time they show bravery, you give a point. And then you can also do something that's actually called fixed reinforcement, which means every time they do five exposures, so you fix it. Every time they earn 20 points, they get a reward. So there's like short-term, long-term. It really depends on what works for your kid. Like I have a kiddo that I just finished working with, with very severe emetophobia. So actually not OCD, but it was a phobia based on an experience she had of almost choking. And she was only six, so really little, but got it, but really fought back against mom and dad. So I was able to do exposures with her in session, but did not want to do it with mom and dad. And so I taught mom and dad how to use this schedule of reinforcement. And it worked fabulously. She was so motivated and so excited. And every time she'd come to session, she'd show me what she earned. And it was great. And now she has crushed her emetophobia and she's actually able to eat almost all foods. When I first met her, she wouldn't eat any solid food whatsoever. And this was, we did this in just, it was probably about two months that we did the work. So it depends. It has to be really individualized for the age, developmental level, interest of the child. Yeah. 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 I agree. And I think setting up some sort of framework that you can do is really helpful. I know at my house, I'm like a big proponent of this. I use privilege points, which is an app. It's like a chore app and it's just made my life easier. And so I've started using it in my practice too, and talking about it in my online community because you have a child who has an app on their phone or their iPad and you have it on yours, you just change it so that like in my house, we have like brave point and then we might have, you know, eight something because my son has ARFID. It might be like eight something tricky and you can write your own things down. And then as you develop, like you said, you might start off with like very controlled exposures where you're going to earn a point for doing this one exposure. And then you either build up harder things. Like at my house, it's like an ongoing negotiation now. So it's just more like my son had to make a hot pocket. I accidentally accidentally made him a different hot pocket. And so a meatball hot pocket is very triggering for him because of the texture and he doesn't have sensory issues. It's like an intrusive thought about the texture. And I was like, oh no, it's just cheese. And then he ate, he took a bite and he's like, mom, there's meatballs in this. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry. Like I didn't, it was not in a box in the freezer. <laughs> and then that's when the negotiation starts. Um, well, I'll eat it for 10 points. I'm like, <laughs> and a point equals a dollar. So I'm like, I'm not paying you $10 for a hot pocket, but I would pay him five because that's a lot cheaper than therapy. And it would, <laughs> so I was like, well, you can do it for five, you know, and then he ate half. My point is like, you can develop this like framework of how you're handling these things on the go as parents. He would never do any of that stuff if he wasn't earning points, which he gets Robux for primarily. So yeah. finding your child's currency uh-huh. is so key. And every kid has currency. I know a lot of times parents will say yeah. there's nothing they want. And I, I find that hard to believe. I feel like if you pay attention enough, you're going to find your child's currency. And even if you pull back, like 
he like normally for like the holidays, like he'll get, he'll get a lot of Robux or like he'll get whatever yeah. he's into. And we did not this year. I said, you will not get any yep. for our, like your birthday or Christmas. The only way you can get that is by doing exposures. And so he's more motivated. So tapping exactly. into what your child is into. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, I, and I hear, I do hear that all the time too. Of Like my, you know, my kid is just not motivated for anything. My kid doesn't want everything. My kid has everything. And then that's always a sign to me of like, Hmm, okay, maybe we need to hold exactly. back a little bit. Right. Yeah. So especially for screen time. So most kids have screen time and really enjoy YouTube or whatever, you know, games, video games, whatever they do. And so if a kid is getting a lot of screen time, it is absolutely an option for parents to pull back and they have to earn their screen time now to actually be able to get that screen time, right? Or if a kid always gets desserts, now they have to actually earn those desserts. So we can almost always find something. Now it's a little hard if a kid is super, super depressed. And actually just really doesn't enjoy it, enjoy a lot, or doesn't want rewards. And so that can be a little trickier. One of the things that I do sometimes when kids kind of, it's maybe a little hard to figure out something that's motivating is doing, having special experiences. So for example, with this kid, I was sick. Well, she was pretty motivated, but one of the things that really motivated her was like having a dance party. So she, for what I forget what it was like 25 points, she got a dance party with mom and dad. And all that meant was they turned on music and danced for 10 minutes. Right. And that's not something they usually do <laughs> or like, I don't know, have like a zoom ice cream party with friends. Right? Yeah. There's, so you don't necessarily need to monetize it, especially if you don't have the money. And I think parents can, can sometimes be like, Oh God, I can't afford it. Right. And so if you can't afford these things, Think of special experiences, like special arts and crafts time or watch a movie together. Any of these things can really be valuable. Yeah. I think experiences or privileges, and Mm -hmm. and you have to be careful. I think about, you can reframe privileges and really it's a consequence in disguise. So, you know, if your child has always been able to play on their iPad as much as they want, and then you make them earn the time. They're going to see that as a consequence that you've taken away their iPad and now they have to earn it because they have anxiety or OCD. So you have to be kind of careful Mm -hmm. with that as far as making sure it's still a privilege. It's something above and beyond that they normally don't get so that you're not seeing it as a punishment. Because I think sometimes parents do move into punishment or they, it's semantics, but sometimes they'll say it's a privilege, but it was always just something they were able to do and now they can't do it. And so you don't want to perceive it as a punishment because no one should be punished for anxiety or OCD, which gets hard. That's a really good point. I'm really glad you brought that up. So probably, you know, as far as screen time, one of the things I've recommended to parents is calculate how much screen time your child gets, like in general, and then cut it down a little bit. So you're not entirely removing screen time, right? So maybe cut it down a little bit, and then they have to earn that kind of extra time. Yeah. And it's motivating, you know, or a little bit later bedtime or like tapping into, I think what your child would perceive as a privilege. And then I want to talk to you about like, what do you think are some of the pitfalls? Because sometimes I think parents will tell me, and I'm sure you get this too, that doesn't work. And then when they start to talk to me and I can't always do this online with people, but definitely my practice, which is getting tinier though, because I'm working more online. I'll see where it's not working. When they walk me through it, I'll see 
why that reinforcer is not working. So let's mm-hmm. talk about some of the barriers that maybe, you know, parents can fall into that causes it to not work out. That's a really, I love that you brought that up because yes, I can see that quite frequently when parents complain that like, oh, this is not working. So one of the things I want to bring back up is kind of this idea of a schedule, a reinforcement schedule. And I usually talk to parents about this because this kind of really basic science is so powerful. So continuous reinforcement schedule is like I said, when you give one-to-one. So exposure point, exposure point, exposure point. Now you don't want to overuse that because the reward becomes less valuable. So if a kid is getting like, uh, let's say, uh, what what would be a good example? Let's say, let's say you're giving a kid a piece of candy. Now I'm not saying you should give kids lots of candy for doing exposure, but let's just say you are, okay? And let's say you're giving them like a, a whole peanut butter cup for every single time they do an exposure. Right? After the kid does like four exposures, that's a lot of peanut butter cups right? And they're not going to eat them at the moment. And they're going to probably save them or they're going to be full. They're kind of going to get sick of peanut butter cups. So a better way to go about this would be to at first, when the kid is starting to do something challenging for them, maybe their willingness is a little low and their motivation is a little low. Maybe first start out with a peanut butter cup. You know, maybe they can earn When, let's say the first time they do it and they're really reluctant, but they do it, you give them a whole peanut butter cup to increase the value of it. And then the next time they do an exposure, maybe they have to do two exposures for one peanut butter cup. So make it a little bit harder to get the peanut butter cup. After that, you can start increasing the length between, so the the time, like between exposures. So now maybe they have to earn 10 points not, but then may change it up to make it more exciting. Like not a peanut butter cup, but now they can earn 10 points to have like an extra 10 minutes, you know, on the on-screen time. So varying it up and changing up the, the time and the ratio are some things that can really help. So like giving too much continuously loses the value. That's one thing that I see. Yeah. And I agree. I think what I've seen is sometimes the reinforcer is too big. And so it's like, you can get a phone and you're going to need like 5,000 points. (laughs) Right. It's going to take you a year. That's too big. So I think small, you know, thinking of like an immediate goal. And like you said, when it's like a new exposure, getting that reinforcer right away in that moment, really important. And I find that you got to keep that for quite a long time, but then sometimes parents don't bump up the exposure. So you can still yeah. do that reward one-to-one, but and that's what I do in my practice, but the exposure is getting harder. And so they're exactly. not staying at that low level because sometimes parents will say, you know, well, how long am I going to give them like, yeah. or, you know, just go into the bathroom when he can do that now. And you're gauging, yeah. you know, how stressful is this? Is this, if this is a one on a one to 10 scale, you're not getting points for it. So you're constantly moving up. And then I also like your idea of some intervals. So I know in my practice, I'll do streaks. I do Mm -hmm. more, not in my home, but I do it with clients. We'll do streaks. And so if you can do five in a row and you can't break it, then you earn those five points. And yeah, that can help Mm -hmm. too, because sometimes you get kids who start to lose their zest for doing these things. They're inconsistent. So when I see kids who are inconsistent, and they're not doing their daily homework, or they're not doing their exposures all the time. If you're a parent without a therapist, 
then you do streaks, but you don't start with streaks. Cause I think the parents start with mm-hmm. that and their kids get frustrated. Cause they're like, I did four and I needed, you know, one more to get all my points. And then I lost them. So you'd be super careful with streaks. I think. Yeah. You know, one of the things I tell parents is like at the beginning, especially when you're using rewards, you want to like this idea that you want to hook them in. Right. So you want to get the kids successful and excited about what they're doing. And you want them to feel that it's doable and that they can earn things and they can move forward. And so, yeah, you have to be very careful. I think the one-to-one is important at the beginning. And then as your kid has that motivation and it's feeling a sense of mastery, right? And they can do harder things, then you need to make it, then kind of up the bar, make the bar a little bit higher, right? So like make the reach a little bit higher. You don't want to make the reach so, so high, like the a thousand points for the phone or whatever, that, that, that it's impossible. And then they, kids lose their motivation, but just always bump it up like a little reach, a little reach, a little reach. One of the things I do in my practice that seems to work really well is I use colors and I use this, I guess, for teens, for kids and teens. And so I have a suds chart. So zero to 10, how difficult and how so difficult and anxious and exposure is. And then I call green something that is like zero to three, usually. And then I call orange or sorry, yellow, something that is four, let's see, four, five, and six. And then orange is seven, eight, and red is nine, 10. And then I let the kid choose the level of exposure they want to do. So they can choose if they want to do a green, orange, yellow, red. But I have different points associated with each. Yeah, I think kids have that power. And sometimes, you know, in the act world, it's like make a menu and let them have that exposure and and choose. It's so important. I think sometimes as parents, we don't give up the reins enough to let them, you know, be in some control over what the challenge is. Like my kids present me with the challenge. We're at that point now where they'll say, Mom, I'm gonna eat this. Can I get some points for this? Or I'm afraid to go upstairs, Mm -hmm. it's dark. Can I get a point? And then sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. So I just want to summarize the point thing. And I want to move into one quick thing before we wrap up. So I do feel like sometimes I'm just going to quickly name off the things I see that are a problem. (laughs) I think sometimes parents don't give the reward. So they don't through and there's nothing follow through. Yeah. There's nothing quicker to ruin a behavior plan when you don't give what you promise your child. So have that already available, whether it's a privilege or a literal object. And I also see parents sometimes taking away the points for other issues. Mm. Once a point is earned, the point is earned no matter what. So, you know, if I did an exposure as a kid and then I talked back to my dad, you can't take those points away or you're going to undermine the entire process. Just a couple of like things I see. Yeah. But I want to, I feel like we can't talk about motivation without just touching on acceptance, commitment therapy, and just the act approach, just to give it a little bit of a highlight, because I do feel like also when we're talking about teens, especially we discussed one education, like letting them know that they're, we're normalizing it. We're taking the shame away. We're trying to get them to watch YouTube videos or read books or whatever. And then we're, we're incentivizing it. And so we're gamifying it. And the third one I would want to say is highlighting what anxiety or OCD is taking away from them, you know, and Mm -hmm. putting their focus back on what they would like. And And that's what I always start with in my therapy. And I'm not an ACT therapist, but I do like a lot of the ACT approaches is I say, you know, what do you think anxiety and OCD is stealing from you? Like if you didn't have anxiety or OCD, what, what would life look like? So we can get them to feel motivated by their own stuff and not ours. 
Yeah. You know, I do incorporate ACT a lot into my work. And I, of course, I'm an OCD specialist, but I also identify as an ACT therapist as well, because it's so much of what I do. And I think that's really helpful to kind of, you know, integrate both of them, you know, not just do ACT, not just do ERP, but really blend them together. So one of the things that I really work with kids and teens up front is identifying kind of what their values are. And I call values kind of, I call them a couple of different things because values, the word values doesn't make a lot of sense sometimes to kids and teens. It's like, what does that mean? But I talk to kids and teens about like, what is important to them as a person? And we go kind of through examples of like different things that are really important to them. You know, like for example, having fun, like that's a really common value for a kid or teen. That's something that OCD, like you said, takes away from them. And so a lot of times we'll talk about like, well, if OCD was not in control and you were back in control and you were making the decisions, what would you be doing? And get really, really specific about what those things would be. And then when you're thinking of exposures and coming up with exposures, use those, right? So like, would you be playing a board game with the family? How is OCD getting in the way of you playing a board game? Maybe it's a kid that has obsessions around making the right decision, right? Or some sort of, you know, doing things a certain number of times. Then you can use that, like use that activity. It's like, okay, we're going to play a board game and you have to make a decision of how many times, you know, how you're going to move the checkers within three seconds. And then not only are you helping the kid and encouraging them to live their values, and take their life back from OCD and participate in their life, how they want to participate. But then it's also a great chance to do exposure and reward and increase motivation. Yep, exactly. And you know, that's the buy-in that you might get and you may not, but it's a good place to start. All these are just little places to start where you say, what do you, what would you want to work on first? And it's like, maybe I want to work on being able to touch my Xbox, or maybe I want to work on being able to like hug my dog again. And maybe as the parent, your goal is like, oh my gosh, you know, I rather get you to be able to do the dishes first, or I would rather not have to answer (laughs) like the five zillion reassurance questions that you ask me every day or prepare your food in this particular way. But your Mm -hmm. child is not as motivated with that. They rather learn how to pet their dog first. And even though you might not think that that's going to have make a huge impact in your daily life, that's the entrance point to motivation and buy-in is okay. Exactly. Yeah. You to pet your dog. Let's do that. So important. Like, yeah, for example, the six-year-old that I was working with, with ARFID and emetophobia. So she loves ice cream. Like, so I started with just asking her what foods she wants to be able to eat again. And she had a really long list of all these foods that she just missed, like wanted to be able to eat, but it was too fearful for fear of choking, right? That she's going to choke on these foods. And so she really wanted to eat ice cream. And you know, I think for a lot of parents, they're like, oh gosh, you know, what if my kid isn't getting the vitamins and nutrients they eat because they're not eating solid food, but now they're eating like ice cream and smoothies, right? Is kind of that anxiety behind that of like, oh gosh, what are we doing? You know, we shouldn't work on this. We should work on green beans. But for this kid, that's what she really wanted. And that was important to her. So we started with vanilla. And then once she mastered vanilla and got used to eating vanilla and conquered her fear, then we moved on to chocolate chip which was super challenging for her because she had to chew and trigger her fear of choking. But 
that's what she wanted. Well, and it's a great way to get her to kind of have a solid food in her soft food that she wants to eat. And I think it's a really good example because I think sometimes parentally we can get kind of rigid in what we were controlling too much of like what our child's going to work on and how they're going to work on it. And so the motivation and buy-in does fall off. And, you know, my son's the same way. I love this dark chocolate thing that I eat. It's like dark chocolate with like a cranberry. I don't even know what the, I think it's Brookstone or something. I have no idea. Uh-huh. But I eat it like every day and I have 12 <laughs> of them because 1200 <laughs> ridiculous, but it's not an OCD thing, but I, like, I'm, I try to like minimize it. Yeah. And he was like, mom, I want, I want a cup of chocolate too. And really, <laughs> yeah. I would be like, absolutely not. But I was trying to get him to like make a connection with like, he's doing online school right now. Cause they're all out because of COVID. And I said, you know, school doesn't have to be that bad. You can like actually do something that like you pair with it. That makes it fun. You know, like when I'm, <laughs> I, was like, I listen to my favorite podcast when I'm exercising and I can only listen to it when I'm exercising and now exercising isn't as bad. And he's like, well, I would like to do that for like my classes. And I was like, well, you can have a little cup of chocolate. And the reason why I let him have this little cup is it's got this cranberry in it that cannot be broken down. And his ARFID is all about choking as well currently and like nothing. Oh, yeah. Follow. And I yeah. said, you will not be able to break this cranberry down. And he tried when he's like, you're right. Cause like he will actually even take it out of his mouth and try to squish it and break it down. Yeah. It pretty severe. He almost had to be G tube. So it was very severe. Yeah. And I'll give him a cup of chocolate at like 11 AM. Um, and my daughter's like, wait, what, what about me? Yeah. It's like right. exposure for him. Yes. He's motivated for the chocolate, but it is still hard. So I love your example of the ice cream. Cause I think it's the same thing with these like chocolate chips. It's like, she's still going to do hard work, but it's more motivating for her. So yeah, good example. Exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, this is a little off topic, but once, for example, for this kid, you know, once she has mastered eating the ice cream with the chocolate chips, then you can also use that to do even harder exposures, right? So like for her, I eventually had her pick all the chocolate chips out because when she was first eating ice cream, it was only a couple chocolate chips to get in her mouth. But then to do a harder exposure and really challenge her, then I had her just like pick like 10 chocolate chips out and eat them all at once at the same time, right? And then something even harder was like, I told her jokes while she was doing that because she was fearful of of choking laughing. So you can just really, really build. I think you just have to be really creative and kind of think outside the box with motivation and exposures. Yeah. And, and listen to your kids. Like I constantly watch my four opportunities that I can use as reinforcers and things that they want to do that they're afraid to do. So I think that can help too. Thank yeah, exactly. Talking about this, yeah. I, it. I think parents need to know how to motivate their kids and, and try to be effective. And like we said before, not every kid's going to be motivated by this stuff. And you might just sit with education for a while and you can combine, I think points and education where you can say yeah. you can earn a point for watching this YouTube video. You can earn a point for watching this OCD documentary and then take it from one, one step at a time. I love that idea. Yeah. You got to start from, from where they are and just slowly, slowly build over time, increasing the bar a tiny bit, tiny bit until they get to the point where they're crushing OCD and anxiety. Yeah. Exactly. So if, if anybody wants to um, kind of get some of these resources, like activities and worksheets, they can just go to my website and they'll just see a tab for uh, resources and just go there. Sounds good. I'll leave the link below. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Natasha. So I hope you found that conversation helpful. I hope that you got some 
ahas about how to get your child to have some buy-in or motivation. And like we said in this episode, you know, you're not going to be able to motivate any child. So please don't beat yourself up if you're like, I've tried all that and my child is still not motivated. What am I doing wrong? The question might not be what you're doing wrong. The question might be, where is your child at? Maybe they're not in a place right now to work on their anxiety or OCD. And then where do you go from there? And sometimes it's just building your trust and your communication with your child and not even focusing on anxiety or OCD until that trust and communication is better. Sometimes it's taking that baby step and getting them to be educated on anxiety or OCD before really getting them to do any work around it. So find that entry point wherever it is, even if it's like way before even working on anxiety or OCD and start with that. It might be self-care. It might be that my child is not motivated. I've tried everything you guys have talked about. None of it has worked. And so where do I go? And it might be, let's focus on you. Let's get your mindset up, start to help you feel supported and get your foundation really, really solid in the interim. Because if your child's not motivated and you've tried everything, then it might be time to just focus on yourself and do the things that you can control, which might be how to help yourself, how to help yourself with the stress of what is going on in your house and how to recharge your battery, build your foundation, anchor yourself so that when your child is ready or you need to move into a higher level of care or do something like the space program where it doesn't involve your child, that you'll be able to do that. So don't forget to sign up for my self-care series because it's apropos that we're talking about that because I'm going to walk you through exactly how to do that, whether your child is ready to roll up their sleeves and work on it or not. So you can text the word AT self-care to the number 44222 and I will sign you up automatically, or you can look for the link below and you'll find that sign up. So definitely go visit Dr. Amy Jenks' website with all her resources. I hope to see you over in the series and in the private Facebook group that will be developed for the self-care series. If you're finding the podcast helpful, don't forget to hit a star where you are consuming your podcast. And if you have a few extra seconds, please leave a review. It definitely helps get that word out to other parents. So I do want to thank Darcy, who wrote Incredibly Rich Resource. Natasha has a ton of experience specifically working with children with OCD and anxiety and their parents. These issues have so many ways they present and have tons of different themes. Natasha gives lots of examples of what these look like and concrete tools and skills that she has implemented with her clients. She is clear and easy to listen to. I appreciate that her titles are specific so I can find all the episodes that best apply to our situation. I'm feeling more and more confident partnering with my child against her OCD and anxiety because of this podcast and Natasha's other online resources. Bless you, woman. Why, thank you, Darcy. I appreciate that. And I am glad that you find that my titles are really specific because I do know that I cover a lot of things and I get very, very specific in the different anxiety and OCD themes. And a lot of it may not pertain to you, but you can search those and you can find them. And if you can't search them on the platform that you're listening to, as far as where you're listening to the podcast, whether it's Apple podcast or Google podcast, you can always go to my website at atparentingsurvival.com and there is a search button. And so I think if you go all the way to the bottom of my website, there's a search button. I think there might be one at the top too, but definitely if you scroll down to the very, very bottom, I'm trying to think if it's on the first page or not. I think it is. Um, You will see that you can just type in any word and that topic will pop up. And more than likely, I have probably created a podcast episode because it's episode 201 and I didn't even celebrate episode 200. I'm so bad at that stuff. 
or I probably made a YouTube video on it because I do have a YouTube channel called Ask the Child Therapist, and there are videos over there for your kids and teens. Sometimes I'll throw up podcasts or interviews, but most of it is for your kids and teens directly. So you can check those out and you can search my YouTube channel as well. But if you go to my website at atparentingsurvival.com, I have both my podcast and YouTube resources on the website. So it's a little bit easier to search that and use that as a search engine. So I hope that you have a fantastic day and I will see you again, same time, same place next week. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 